from the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Another week of Life to Labyrinth podcast. How's it going, Steven? Oh, not too bad. Um, this, was an, this was an interesting listen for me. Not unpleasant, <laughs> but also completely unremarkable. <laughs> Welcome to 90s uh, dance pop music. Right? Damn. I will say, I think there was a there was one track I think I could still hear being like a club song now. But yeah, this was a... I'm not going to say it was a slog. The problem was more that I'd put the album on and I would just I'd hit the end of the album and be like, fuck, I don't remember what I just listened to. Can <laughs> <laughs> kind I of come out of the gate on this one and say we debuted our songbird in segment last week. I don't have one for this album. Oh, I do. I can, do I can you? get you at least one songbird. All right, cool. I, I I have maybe I was thinking of one, but I was like, I don't know if it really kicks you out. But if you got one, awesome. You can go on the playlist, which exists, which is called Life to Labyrinth, The Songbirds. And the first the first song on the playlist is Songbird. What's I just, that I just took that liberty. <laughs> I just I just took the liberty. Hey, of course, <laughs> you had to. I had to. I wonder that someday we will do rumors and we won't need to add it. <laughs> <laughs> it's already on. <laughs> But Gotta um, get around to the namesake at some point. Exactly, exactly. So, Spooktober, the scary music we started our lives with. Week two, my choice. First album I ever acquired, I believe with my own money. Ace of Bases, The Sign from 1993, which would have put me the age of nine in November of 93. I don't remember when exactly I got it. It might have been in early 94, but it was during a time when it was still on the air. So I'm going to presume it was in 93, but it came uh, out at the end of 93. So it could have been 94. Yeah, I think it was it was actually Christmas Eve, wasn't it, that this album dropped? Uh, and Wikipedia says it was released on the 23rd of November. So maybe you just read the month wrong. Yeah, I probably did do that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of swore I saw somewhere that it was released December of that year. But yeah, I probably just read this, the month wrong. Yeah. Because so, I gotta uh, say, even man, even researching information, I somehow didn't miss some this really juicy information we're gonna share later. But even like looking up information about this band, it's just, it's just also bland. It's just so generic. <laughs> it's really generic, but there's some like crazy side stories. So Ace of Base, um, if you've never listened to them, are basically they're a Swedish pop band, two men, two women, just like ABBA. They're the biggest band coming out of Sweden since ABBA and probably since like, I don't think they've been eclipsed. Ace of Base, no. the sign was their first album it was originally released under the album name of happy nation, but then it was without even the sign on it, which was the big hit off of it. And then they put the sign on it and re-released it and it just exploded. Like they came out of literally nowhere. Like they didn't have an album before this, as far as I'm aware. No, as far as I could tell, this was their first. Um, and they'd only dropped two or three singles off the album the same yeah. year it came out. Like, yeah, and it just it sold in in spades. Like you know, Argenian album chart first number number one, Canadian album chart number one, Japanese album chart number one, U.S. Billboard 200 number one. Uh, what else they got? Far more success than I ever would have expected. That's what they've got. Yeah. Uh, nine times platinum in the United States, diamond in Canada, gold in Brazil, gold in Australia, twice gold in France. This was a global phenomenon somehow. Well, yeah. I mean, nine times platinum in the States. That's nine million copies. Yeah. I think a diamond for us in Canada is a million. 
a million, yeah. And then uh, gold in France is two hundred thousand, so it sold almost another half million in France. Man, it's crazy. Yeah, and it came out of nowhere. And they were in their original incantation until '96, when one of the sisters left. So the band is three siblings, two sisters and a brother. And the lead singer left. She had um, she had stage fright. She was incredibly she had a fear of flying, and so she hated touring. Uh, she didn't particularly like the fame and success that they had. She really didn't, you know, she gave interviews saying she didn't think that they'd be this big and that she really didn't want to be that big and that famous and that popular. It's just, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and so basically, um, I'm just going to pull it up so that I actually read it right, but um, like a a rabid fan broke into her house while she wasn't there and like attacked her sister and their mother. I, yeah, I, I couldn't find a lot of, like, concrete facts on that, but it was, like, an attack, I think it was Jenny and the mom, attacked them yeah. with a, a knife, right? Mm-hmm. Jeez, holy shit. Yeah. Girl, it was a girl attacked Jenny and her mother with a knife. This uh, incident had a huge impact on Lynn. Her name's Lynn. And then Jenny's the other sister, and then there's Alf, who is not the a brother, and then there's another guy that goes by the stage name of Joker. But yeah, uh, but it's just crazy. And and um, one of the things that I did part of my research for this album is look for live footage of them because I've done it in the past and all I could find was lip sync stuff. Having tried this time, I did find some actual concerts where they were singing. There was one from 1996 and she was suffering some kind of weird vocal trouble, which they allude to in some of the articles I've read to, but it's mostly like unspecified vocal trouble. You could tell that she was definitely struggling to sing. Mm. So anyway, she's been she she pieced out in 1996. The band carried on without her for a while. And now Jenny performs on her own. And there's actually quite a lot of footage of her performing even a couple of years ago. On like the looks like this, the European festival circuit. And and then the, the two guys found two other women and kept going as like new ace of base or something. Yeah, I think they called themselves um, Ace of Base 2.0. <laughs> of course they did. <laughs> right? <laughs> so literally the, the least creative name you could possibly have come up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you got this really interesting band of three siblings, the lead singer of whom never wanted to be a singer or never wanted to be famous. The brother of whom. That. Yeah. Like it's I mean, I mean, good honor. Yeah. Like she hit it big. Like, if you're going to take a career that you don't want to do for a couple of years. <laughs> it doesn't hurt you, to make a couple million that first year. And eh? you turn it into Ace of Base. All she had to do was basically exist in the public eye for three years. Sing, release a couple of albums, make a shitload of money, do a couple of hundred concerts, which is nothing in the life of a band. Yeah. And then basically just like clap the dust off her hands and peace out back home. Probably yeah. to be completely financially secured for life. I would hope at least like I understand too. like without ever having access to that kind of money, you'll never understand the pressures and the kind of the life that comes with it. That's why you end up with a lot of lottery winners who like bankrupt within a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I hope, yeah, she retired happily, got to do whatever she wanted to do on a vast pile of cash. Mm-hmm. The, apparently the brother and sister still see her like they're still, you know, it's not like a strange family members or anything. And they say that apparently as of 2015, Jonas, who's the guy that operates as Joker, the brother, 
confirms she that he still sees Lynn regularly and that she is enjoying a peaceful life with no interest in fame or returning to music. Good for her. Yeah. Good for them too. It's always nice when it's a quote unquote happy ending. That's so rare, especially in music families. Oh yeah. Yeah, they don't all turn into Angus and Malcolm Young where everything's cool for like fifty <laughs> years. Yeah, I'd, I'd wager most don't. Yeah, usually I think it's a little bit more oasisy. Yeah, Jackson family. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> right. <laughs> God, what a perfectly succinct way to sum that up. Just woof. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm really torn if we should do Michael Jackson on the podcast. <laughs> All right, well, let's figure that out after. Let's let's, well, get let's it burn that bridge when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, also, we kind of have to at some point, right? I would do Jackson Five. I That's think. actually what I was thinking, because there's a couple Jackson 5 songs that I actually really, really love, despite having zero interest in supporting them or the process that created the Jackson 5. They've, they've got a couple bangers, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't know. Well, I would almost say maybe down the road at some point we should do like an episode where we just argue for 30 minutes about <laughs> in a drunken state about whether or not we're going to do the Jacksons. <laughs> Sounds good to me. But uh, until then. Ace of base. Ace of base. <laughs> so I got this album, like I said, when I was nine or 10 and it was the only album I had for a long time until a friend of mine wanted to hear this song yesterday. And I invested in a second album, which was helped by the Beatles. And I kind of never came back to it after that. So that would have been in probably grade six, I think. So I probably had this album for several months. And this was the only album I had other than the stuff that I was borrowing from my dad. I'd saved up to buy this like little stereo. It was like a shelf stereo. It was Koss. And I don't remember how much I paid for it, but it had a single CD player in it, a radio and a single tape deck. And I used to earn money when I was a kid by mowing my grandfather's lawn and washing my parents' cars. Like I didn't get allowance or anything like that. My parents were very much like, if you want something like we'll give you this like crappy secondhand bike because we didn't like we grew up in like I had a nice house and we had a comfortable life and we were able to go to Florida and stuff. But it came at this at the sacrifice of other things because my parents were so determined that my mom was going to be stay at home. So yeah. it came at the sacrifice of like a lot of our clothes were hand me downs, um, mine, especially having an older brother. Um, our bikes were hand me downs from my older cousins. And if we wanted something nice, we had to kind of save up and buy it for ourselves. So I saved up and bought a bike for myself and I saved up and I got this stereo for myself. So I saved up, I got it. And then I got Ace of Bases, the sign, which I presume I had to use my own money for. We grew up in a small town and my dad commuted back and forth to the city near Ottawa. He, he worked in Hull. And um, so by the time he got home from work, the last thing he wanted to do was get back in the car and basically drive back to the city to like take me to a record store. So anything that I needed from the city, I basically had to give him my money, tell him what I wanted. And I guess he would just go at lunch. So (laughs) there was a lot of things that came my way via that. Anytime I wanted albums and stuff like that, because there was no Internet at the time, you know, when I wanted like a Beatles album, be like, I want a Beatles album that has this song on it. And so I would just give him money and he would just come back with something. And I, I had no idea what he was going to bring home. I just was like, I want this album. I want I want this song. And so even like I saved up and bought my first guitar, I just gave him my money and he went to the store and came home with my guitar. I didn't get the experience a lot of going to the store and making my purchase. Anyway, that's a really long roundabout way of saying. So I saved up my money, sent my dad to the store, got the stereo, got Ace of Bases the sign. 
And then a couple of months later, I don't remember when I got it, but it was sometime before the summer because I remember I had worked so hard to get this thing. And then my cousin Angie's birthday was in June, I think. And at her birthday party with the family, I had to sit there and watch her open the exact same stereo as a gift. (laughs) (laughs) So I learned at a really, really young age that some people have to work their whole lives to get things. And some people just get them as gifts and you get to watch them do that. That's savage. Damn. <laughs> I don't know if like I remember they tried to frame it and like oh we we liked it so much like we got Angie the same one but I was literally sitting there being like thinking about all the fucking cars I had to wash and leaves I had to rake and lawns I had to mow to save up the money to buy this thing just to watch my cousin be given it. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so that was a fun lesson to learn. <laughs> no matter how hard you work to achieve something, someone will just be given it. Yeah, it's it's shitty to learn it that young, but I guess it's a good lesson to know. (laughs) That's 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 life smacking you right in the face. So anyway, that's my funny little stereo story. I remember I think I wanted this this album because of the sign. The sign was all over the radio. But I also remember all that she wants is all over the radio. Remember, don't turn around was all over the radio. I remember those songs. All my other memories of this album are from listening to it when I had the album. Um, and I completely forgot about some of the songs and I completely forgot about the one song on here that I think is just an absolute fucking banger that we'll get to. So um, my listening experience is very much nostalgic. I think I like I enjoy this, the album on a whole, like it pretty much all sounds the same. I think it very much reeks of 90s dance music, which all just has that kind of like 90s Casio keyboard sound to it. Nothing yeah. really sounds like an actual instrument. The drums sound fake. The piano sounds fake. No, no, like if they have horns or strings or something, it's all synthesized and it's all synthesized in such a 90s MIDI way that it just sounds so bad by today's standards. Right. But That's it's such a of the perfect snapshot that, of the time. One of the first <laughs> things that struck me is it's like, man, this was some people sat down and were like, hey, how how can we really peak synth from the 80s? And then yeah. someone's like, oh, I know. Make every track, <laughs> this whole album for at least 70% of its runtime. <laughs> yeah. Full synth. Yeah. Which, ballsy, creative choice. Like, <laughs> that was a decision someone made. And I'm sure at the time, as evidenced by their sales, it was a real solid one. But yeah, yeah. doesn't doesn't age super great. <laughs> like the, I, I wonder if the legacy, I wonder what the legacy of this album is, because I, I'm curious of like, how many people my age who heard this album, you know, at like, 10 and under because maybe they're like older siblings had it like their older sister bought it or something like that. Like their gen X sister who was like, you know, 16 or 17, maybe in 93, 94. And how many of those people developed a love of like house music and electronic music as a result of hearing this shit on a loop coming from like a sibling's bedroom? I mean, straight up like this specific album. My sister was only, uh, what about six, seven when this album was like really big, but a hundred percent. I, some of my most vivid memories essentially aren't even my own is I remember my sister, my sister got hooked on Venga boys because they were a much <laughs> bigger deal in like we Germany and Cyprus. Party. We lived there, right? We love, we love to party. We're going to, we going to Ibiza. Oh, we literally <laughs> went to Ibiza on a trip once. <laughs> like <laughs> They were huge. And then like S club seven was a 
ridiculously like standout smash success in England. Yeah. So I remember my sister listening to Venga Poison S Club and straight up <laughs> listening to this album. I was like, man, if we had come along a little earlier, she for sure, this would have been fucking blaring 24 <laughs> seven. Yep. So I, I'm curious. As, I didn't really find anything written about like what the legacy of this is, is kind of like how history remembers this album. Other than the fact that like it kind of came out of nowhere, blew up and then they kind of disappeared. The next album yeah. they released, The Bridge, I owned that too. And I remember it was on the, like, there were singles on that that were on the radio. Like, Beautiful Life was a big radio hit off that album. And then they were kind of gone. There were yeah. a couple more albums, but like... From what I could find, a lot of people almost approach their write-ups about this album the same way you did. Like, listening to it from a place of nostalgia and, like, childhood memory, essentially, they still really enjoyed it. They still really loved the sound. Um a lot of like reviewers or critiquers were commenting on like, especially now, like I found one from, I think 2011 mm-hmm. that was like, now it's to listen to it as a single track is it's cheesy and it's overblown. And it's so perfectly like encapsulates that like nineties <laughs> club music. Yeah. that it, it's just all kind of blends, but for those who have the nostalgia of it, it still holds up. And to be fair, like the sign specifically is still structurally a very, very strong pop track. Like mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Katy Perry said when she was writing um, teenage dream, the sign was one of the few tracks she kept referencing because it's built in that very almost like scientific way to make a good pop song. Yeah. So regardless of time, it might not stack up super well to like today's pop, but it's still a very strong basis for the kind of pop music we're getting in 2020, which is insane yeah. to me. Like good for them, but <laughs> that's wild <laughs> to me. Yeah. I think I, as I say, I love to know what the sort of musical legacy of this band is and how they'd influence things to come in the electronic genre over the next like 25 years. But um, that's, it's a good point. Like not to try and tangent too far. I will say like listening to this, I laughed and said like, man, this is what electronica was 93. It's insane to me that Daft Punk came two years later and completely changed what electronica would become. But going back and listening to their first album, you kind of get that vibe that they were listening to like Ace of Base and whoever like local contemporaries were who never made it big, but you can almost feel that that's where Daft Punk started. And then they were the ones to kind of make that next step. Like, Ooh, where can we go from Mm -hmm. here? And I never, never would have put that connection together. I never would have considered Ace of Base of all things to be like a precursor to Electronica. And they, they are. (laughs) I think that I, I really do like listening to them now, you know, they're, they're sort of electronic and music in its infancy. Like they didn't have a whole lot of technology, but, you know, I mean, there's there's remixes on this. album. like, this is the start of like clubs, you know, coming out of discotheques. This, this yeah, is, I had to the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s is when kind of that pop dance music and having clubs centered around it and having remixes and stuff for specifically for like long form dancing and, you know, all night raves and shit like that. Like it all started, you know, I think sounding like yeah, this I, and then it just evolved and grew over time as the technology got better. Yeah. I triple checked that I had the right song list because I was really, really surprised to see that there's three separate like remixes off that original release. Yeah. I never would have guessed. Cause yeah, in my head, I guess like Daft Punk to me is the start of electronica, but I think Daft Punk is more 
accurately the start of experimental electronica. Like Daft Punk was the first band to start playing around with it to see how crazy they could get with the technology they had on Mm -hmm. hand. Whereas like Ace of Base, absolutely. I was stunned that so much of it has that electronica influence, but you could tell they found that electronic sound that worked for them. And then they just used it. Whereas I found Daft Punk was more like, Ooh, what happens if I hit this button? Or what happens if we flip this on its head and try it backwards? Like, it's just really cool. Yeah. I never, Ace of Base wasn't experimental in that way. The way Daft Punk is. Ace of Base was very much like, yeah, they, they had the keyboards that they had. They had the synthesizers that they had, and they played with those within a certain set of structure, the same way two guitars, bass and drum would. Like they stuck with the sound they were looking for and made it work so that the entire album sounds very cohesive. It's not it's not like the gorillas like we listened to last week where they have endless technology at their disposal so they could do whatever they wanted in whatever weird way they wanted. Or it's not like Daft Punk where they can jump all over the place, you know, genre wise or beat wise or sound wise. These guys found their instruments, they found their sounds and they built an album around it. And were exceptionally successful with it. So I don't mean that as a slight on them at all. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was going to say, I don't I don't mean that in any kind of negative reflection. I was just surprised to kind of learn that because in my head, like you had asked me last week and the only two songs off this album I could const- like confidently tell you I knew was All That She Wants and The Sign. Yeah. Listening to Voulez-Vous Dancer, kind of familiar to me, but not in the way that like even All That She Wants yeah. is. Whereas like the sign kind of everybody knows the sign it's still played on the radio, you know, several times a week. Oh yeah. Uh, it's, it's a grocery store song now, but yeah, I mean, what does Spotify, how many song playlists does places it have? The sign has almost 130 million plays on Spotify. Oh my God. That's so ridiculous. Is it less than, all I mean, one? good to them. Like it's not less surprising. Than... It's just astounding. Yeah. It's less than all she, that she wants actually. Yeah. Oh, really? All that she wants oh. is like 175 million. Well, actually, all that she wants when I mentioned that we were doing Ace of Base, that's actually the song Danielle started singing. And she was like, oh, I think that's the only song I know off that album. I'm like, no, it's definitely not. <laughs> so I played like the first 10 seconds of the sign. And she's like, OK, yeah, fuck, never mind. I know two songs off that album. It's <laughs> like, I kind of thought they might be the same song. Well, I was like, fair. After listening to the album start to finish i get that now but <laughs> well yeah pretty much all the songs are written by joker and buddha buddha being i think the yeah i noticed buddha being i think Ulf. i think that's his stage name i imagine it would have to be just who's in the band and we know it wasn't one of the two females yes it is and it's him yeah the other guy was already going by joker so. yeah they wrote all the songs except don't turn around which was written by two people named albert hammond and diane warren and then the sign joker wrote apparently by himself wild i mean Damn, he knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, yeah, no shit. The uh, <laughs> I hope he owns the copyright on them because the publishing rights on these songs would have been massive. Oh, could you imagine? Oh. So this this whole album clocks in at only forty five minutes twenty five seconds twenty four seconds, but it has let's see one two three four five six seven eight producers oh my god so for an album that in its original incantation had 12 songs on it and one of them was just a remix of all that she wants there's eight producers on this album um i think part of that too is i should have written it down now that i'm hindsight of course <laughs> but something's telling me there's quite a few songs like on this album that were actually from like previous releases okay. that they were like oh shit we're putting out a full ass album now let's stuff our songs in there right. I mean, obviously, like waiting for magic because that's a the re, one of the remixes on the album. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. So I feel like this album 
I want to talk about the songs, but I don't know if it really fits into our normal format of going song by song per se. I think we can, but they're all so similar. I would, I don't know. How, what do you think? Um, Honestly, I kind of agree. Like we had talked about how we don't really have any, we don't, neither of us really have any notes on it. And that's, for me, it was because when I started writing out my notes, I realized I was just kind of repeating a lot of the same things. Yeah. Because it's, I have a weird experience with this album. So, like I said, start to finish, it's actually, it's a super easy listen. There wasn't a single point where I was like, fuck, I'm listening. Like, oh God, when's the next track? Like, how close are we to the end? But I didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy it either. It just kind of existed, if that makes sense. Like, I tried, I played it in my, like, in my little room downstairs. I played it on headphones. I played it in the car. And I found there wasn't really a whole lot of variation in listening to it. Other than the fact that it would just, like, at some point it would just kind of stick in my brain and the music would play, but I wasn't, I wasn't absorbing lyrics. I wasn't, you know, there was no like in-depth thought about the sounds I was hearing Mm -hmm. other than like that realization of, you know, first wave electronica that they were bringing. A lot of it's the same. Like I'm (laughs) listening to it. I'm pretty sure that all that she wants and the sign is literally the same song. (laughs) They're just in different like cadence and tempo. Like, in a different chord and a slightly different tempo yeah, progression. Yeah, different key and stuff. Well, yeah, right? Like, it just literally sounds like the same song to me. And I mean, it's their two biggest songs, so there's obviously some correlation there. <laughs> there's, yeah, but... there's something to be said for the whole um, pop formula that has now been basically scientifically derived. You do, like, the, the right chord sequences and stuff and the right tempo and hit the right... Yeah, and you can you can tell listening to this album, that's whether it was something they were consciously aware of or whether it was a theory that was in practice at the time, it's clearly something they landed on because every single one of these songs is a decent enough song. And like, if it were to come on in a club at no point, do I think it would really be out of place? Yeah. I think it's dancer in a daydream to me. Like the first time I listened to it, I was like, this is like, this could literally play in a club Mm -hmm. tomorrow. And I wouldn't question it in the slightest like it's almost got this like lady gaga vibe to it like yeah i can see that it was this weird like i think listening to this album i started to realize how influential ace of bass clearly must have been despite the fact that i know nothing about them and couldn't ac- accurately recall most of their music <laughs> yeah they're sort of before your time it's it's one of those things where this is the kind of music that doesn't sort of like it's, it's not the kind of music that people would be like well what do you mean you haven't heard this sign in the same way, people would, might be like, well, what do you mean you haven't heard the White Album? Or what do you mean you haven't heard um, yeah. Blizzard of Oz or, you know, the first Ramones record or something like that? Like, it's not it's not like that. It's not like one of those movies where people are like, how, how can you not have seen Wayne's World? It's like, you know, if you're too young for the sign, nobody's gonna be like, well, man, you got to get that. You got to you gotta listen to that. You know, how, oh, yeah, how, how can you like, how can you go another day without, you know, knowing the sign? It's just so right. with John being nine, I wouldn't ever once be like, I wouldn't put it on. And when he looked at me confused, be like, oh, what? You should totally know this by now. Yeah, exactly. Like I was playing around my kids. They liked it. But my kids are also at that age and they're girls. Not to, you know, be sexist or anything, but I have two young girls under 10 and they both love the shit of pop music. A lot of Ariana Grande getting played at my house. Of course, I like to troll them every time they ask for Ariana Grande. I like sneak onto Spotify and play Crazy Train. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love doing that to John where he'll, he's like casting his music sometimes. And we all use a joint account. So I'll just sneak on and yeah, I'll switch it from like, he listens to a lot of like fandom music, mm. which honestly I'm into like a lot of it's like alt rock techno, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of developing an ear for. Um, 
And yeah, I'll just I'll go on and I'll throw on like a dropkick song or a <laughs> song. And you'll just hear him like put down his iPad and go, Dad, stop it. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. I love it. Yeah, yesterday they kept trying to play Ariana Grande at bedtime and I kept putting Crazy Train on. They'd be like, No, not this song. So I play a different <laughs> version of Crazy Train. There's like three or four live albums plus the original Ozzy, like plus, you know, Blizzard of Oz and stuff. So you get, there's it's there's just so many crazy trains on Spotify. I just kept putting it on. They were getting angrier and angrier. Yeah, that's next to your dad stuff right there <laughs> to do the same song, but through a remix. That's top notch. The thing I like to do is um, <laughs> when uh, my, my daughter was sort of lying in bed, chilling out, she was listening to Ariana Grande and I just like it like got quiet. And I played You Suffer by Napalm Death, which is just like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, what was that? <laughs> I think le- legitimately, like, John might crap himself if I were to do something like that. <laughs> so, he just, he, I don't listen to it, and his mom listens to, like, pop and alt rock, <laughs> kind of similar to me. So, like, man, that would, I think, legitimately terrify him for a solid 10 15 seconds because <laughs> he's got no exposure to screamo at all. well it's a one second song right see i didn't know if it was i've only ever heard a second of it yeah but that's if, been, if you got like if that's you got spotify open which i assume you do just look up <laughs> you suffer by napalm death it's literally just <laughs> it's awesome oh my god that's fucking insane <laughs> i was watching um i recently got access to HBO Crave. Thanks, Renee. Mm-hmm. And um, I watched all of Silicon Valley over the course of like four days, oh, which <laughs> I fucking loved. I wish it was longer. And if you have HBO, I'd seriously recommend watching Silicon Valley because it's hilarious. Mike Judge show. Yeah, I get I get recommendations for it all the time. And it's just one of those like it's in my list, but God knows when I'm ever going to get to it. I would say go for it, honestly, because the seasons are short. Well, so, like, I pounded through the whole thing in, like, yeah, like four or five days. Less than a week, I watched all of it, and it was great. But uh, there's this one episode where this guy, um, Gilfoyle, he sets up that song. He sets up you, the, you Suffer by Napalm Death as an alert when he needs to, like, tweak <laughs> his, um, oh, God. <sighs> it's the end of the night. It's, it's Friday. It's like 10 o'clock p.m. on a Friday, and I can't remember the word Bitcoin. So (laughs) he sets up (laughs) You Suffer by Napalm Death as an alert for when he needs to tweak his Bitcoin mining. So he's like sitting in this office full of people, and all of a sudden it's just like, (laughs) like everybody just like jumps out of their chair. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is that? That's the song You Suffer by Napalm Death. Uh, it's a great show. Fucking Gilfoyle. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check it out then. <laughs> yeah, so like, I don't know. Like you said, they all kind of, they've got that weird, like, I don't even know how to describe like reggae electronica? Like, it just, it feels inherently like it's got a bit of a reggae bass to me. Mm-hmm. But it's like, man, it's in every single track on this album. That like, that almost like beat, yeah. that little progression from the sign in some shape, form, or fashion is in every track. And I think that goes, like, that's a big part of why, like, man, these songs just blurred in my head. It's like, all that she wants, solid enough song, (laughs) lyrically pretty, like, slim. Well, lyrically, it's about a woman that doesn't want to work, so she keeps getting pregnant so that the government will pay for her life. See, I thought that at first, but I, when I started looking into it, like people are really man it's apparently a very divisive subject (laughs) but 
<laughs> a lot of people think it's actually just, yeah, about a woman who essentially is just hooking up like almost every single night yeah. to just find a guy who will pay for her food, her drink that yeah. night. And then just moving on to the next, yeah. like baby is either an actual fucking human baby, right. which kind of makes the song sound like she's looking to steal some babies, which is kind of a wild fun take on it. <laughs> or baby is like, now it's archaic, but as like a stand in for like boyfriend yeah. or lover and man, the internet, some people get real heated about that shit right? <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> like, no. Right. And actually it was, it was a funny little microcosm because the same thing happened to me and Danielle. So I listened to it in the car and was like, my first instinct was like, Oh baby, as in a lover, like she's just hooking up cause she wants to get some and then fleecing them for a bit of money to make sure she doesn't have to worry about it. Whereas like Danielle was like, yeah, like, is she just like, is she getting pregnant? Like, successfully like how many babies does this woman have now it's <laughs> like two different takes i guess but <laughs> i always took it as a human baby i didn't take it as like she's fleecing them for money and like is this song about cardi b <laughs> <laughs> let's see yeah i don't know it's... oh yeah maybe it's a little bit mix of both maybe the the hope is that like yeah like part of it was like right it's uh it's a night of pa- for passion but the morning means goodbye so like Maybe it's essentially her just hooking up, hoping to get pregnant, uh-huh. and then essentially like, hey, now you're stuck with me. Like, <laughs> take care of me and this baby. But you're right. The rest of the lyrics talk about how it's like, it's a nice day for laying on the beach and having fun. Like, yeah. definitely does not want to do any goddamn work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, people got like, I was surprised. There's some real like, there's still some Ace of Base fanatics out there <laughs> who will vehemently defend their position on that song. Good God. Much like Rule 34, if it exists, there's porn of it. That's true. If uh, if it I exists mean, on the internet, there's going to be someone that's prepared to argue the other side. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I mean, at the end of the day, all power to you. I mean, that's, I think, the true kind of power of music and what kind of brings us back to it is everybody takes what they want from it. Whether or not that's what the artist intended, if, it's, if it helps you or gets you through the day or feels more personal that way, that's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> Saying that, like... I don't know. Don't turn around. Just right out the gate. It's probably my least favorite song on this album. I don't know if it's like, assuming I'm remembering it correctly, but don't turn around is a much like slower song, right? Like, um, no, (laughs) it starts off. That's not the one I'm thinking. (laughs) That might be why, like, because it just doesn't immediately launch into. Yeah, by like 15 seconds, you're right back to the same tempo, the same old shit, the same beat, basically. No, so yeah, actually, I just did a quick like thirty-five second read. Yeah. It's it's the lyrics I don't like and don't turn okay. around. In my head, the only part of that song I remember, like beat wise, is the beginning where it's like super quiet and like doesn't appear to be building up. Yeah. So I guess my brain was just like, nope, it goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I get it's a it's like a very personal. It's got to be about a lover, right? I guess. Like, yeah. Walking out. It's got to be about a lover like leaving, or I guess some people think it might be about like her dad, but I don't know what I didn't look into the whole relationship between the kids and their dad. Yeah. I, um, I didn't get that far. I don't know if the sign really needs that kind of in-depth investigation. Right. And I just, I couldn't like so much of the information I was finding about it was just all the same shit, like super superficial takes on it. And I was just like, I get it. I couldn't write an in-depth take on this album either. <laughs> yeah. I think it just a saying that the, like, the subject matter and the beat are so dislike disjointed. They make no goddamn sense together 
But also, I just, I think lyrically, it's a very generic, you know, don't, if you're going to leave, leave, but don't look at me because you can't see me cry. Like, yeah. cool for them, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we got to look at the lyrics, too. I mean, these people don't speak English as a first language. Saying that, yeah, too, I honestly didn't realize they were a Swedish band yeah. because their English is pretty solid. Like, I for sure have heard worse. Yeah. I thought they were just a generic, you know, middle American, again, pop band that just hit it lucky. Yep. So, at least... I learned that they were Swedish. I will say this um, about Don't Turn Around, though. It is our first taste of these spoken word segments, of which oh are God, everywhere yeah. on this album, and very, very much a thing of their time. The spoken yeah, word break or the spoken word, I don't know, supporting... It's not supporting vocals. They It'd be like it, background vocals on any other song, but the spoken word. The craziest shit is that they refer to it as rap. Yeah. They call them, they call them spoken word rap breaks, and I'm like, what? I, <laughs> I saw that, and I got a good chuckle out of that, too. <laughs> like, I mean, like, Gorillas did a lot, like, even I wouldn't call what we listen to in the Gorillas a lot of, like, spoken word rap. It's just a lot more, like, almost R&B spoken yeah. word. But, man, to to say that fucking Ace of Bass was doing spoken word rap, that that got me. <laughs> Plus, I don't turn around, though, is this is one of the ones that was written by Hammond, right? Because that was one of the few notes it's I took. the only one, yeah. This is the song that's written by people who aren't Joker and Buddha. <laughs> yeah, so the only, the only, honestly, the only reason Hammond stood out to me is because Hammond's the father of the Strokes guitarist. Okay. I just, I can't remember the name of the guitarist, as weird as that is. Like, my dad used to do a lot of, like, stupid music trivia and shit with us. He still, like, throws at us every now and then. And yeah, that was, for whatever reason, one of the little pieces of trivia I remember him asking me was who the guitarist of the strokes is like father was. Right. And I was like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't even listen to the strokes. And he's like, Oh, it's Albert Hammond who I presumably is at least a big name as far as songwriting goes. I gotta be honest. The only Hammond I know is from top gear. <laughs> <laughs> so you say Hammond. Right? I was like, exactly. Hammond. Right. Hammond. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know. How did you feel about turn, turn around? Like it just, I don't know. It was, even in an album that kind of sounds super similar all of the time. Oh, it's just bland <laughs> and boring. <laughs> like, like even with the crazy mismatched up tempo beat, it's just boring. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest. Yeah. There's, there's a few songs in this album. One in particular that I thought was great, but I would basically probably scoop this entire album out and just have living in danger, which is my favorite song on the album. Um, and the one that yeah. I listen to, more so than anything else so don't interrupt. i don't know the first two songs i mean they're fine like for me it's it's more about it was more of a nostalgia trip at this point i knew i wasn't going to come away from this album being like this is going back in the rotation like i've been listening to this album really since i was nine and i'm glad that we did this it's fun but it's not like the musical journey and tapestry that the gorillas was as much as i didn't connect with it i think i kept like emphasizing that i thought the music side of it was really interesting and i liked that it was the goofy cartoony voices that kind of wrecked that experience for me where this, yeah. I knew that it was never going to be that it was never going to be, you know, Oh, it was interesting from a musical point of view or, Oh, lyrically it was really good. Or, you know, the harmonies are really interesting. It's like, this is straight ahead pop music in its most overproduced. And dare I say, like you said, blandest form from the early nineties, this is like, Everything that came afterwards, all the boy bands, you know, um, all the pop starlets and the Mickey Mouse Club starlets of the late 90s and the Spice Girls and all of that shit. It all came from shit like this. It yeah, um, was different at the time. And I think that's why it 
sold well, it was different, it was interesting, and it was catchy. But this is not music that has staying power. So Yeah, I think that's a really good assessment. Like I kind of touched on earlier is that like it wasn't an unpleasant experience listening to it. It was just kind of a wholly forgettable one. Right. Like a couple things that stuck like the fact that they had remixes blew my mind. I fully thought those were like added tracks on Spotify. And it's actually like young and proud. As far as there being a songbird on this album, for me it was young and proud. And that's because young and proud starts with that little like electronica like keyboard. Do do do. Ding, yeah, ding, ding, ding. like little yeah. little beat in the beginning, and it's not that it it's not so much that it ruined the flow because it goes on to ultimately sound just like everything else. <laughs> but it was as close to a songbird as I could get in that when it started, I was like, "Oh shit, what's this? Something new!" And then fifteen seconds in, I was like, "Okay, never mind." <laughs> so like it made me consciously aware of the album every time I heard it, and then every single time, it also kind of made me disappointed that it didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> Um, I remember when I got the album, Young and Proud was the first song I heard on it that I hadn't heard before. Because All That She Wants, Don't Turn Around, and The Sign were all on the radio by that point. So when Young and Proud came on, I was like, what is this? And then, doom, doom, (laughs) doom. I remember thinking that was pretty pretty bitchin' at the time. Yeah, right? It was the one, it was probably one of the few times listening to this album where, like, it caught me every time. And I was like, damn, that's good. And then it just... Fizzled. <laughs> well, we got the um, interesting part so out of the way. Wait. Let's get back to. So Albert Hammond was the father of Albert Hammond Jr. So I don't know why I couldn't remember that. Who was the lead guitarist for the Strokes? Okay, but apparently he also wrote singles for Dion, uh, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Diane Ross, Tina Turner, Glenn Campbell. Like, dude, this fucking list goes dude, on. Speaking of publishing Bonnie, rights, holy! Like, oh my god, yeah, like Bonnie Tyler, Air Supply, Chicago. Starship, Westlife, The Carpenters. <laughs> so apparently Albert Hammond wrote a shit ton of very good songs. And that's why my dad <laughs> was mad that I didn't know who it was. <laughs> it's like the poor man's David Foster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, Young and Proud, I don't know. Um, I really like the Dune and it like, yeah. But then again, it goes right back to this. Uh, Dune. I, would, I'm, I can't beatbox. I'm a 36 year old white man, so. I'm not even going to try. But it's just, you, it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. All the same. Then we come to the sign. I would argue. Yeah. I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. I thought of this would be like the hit, but yeah, all that she wants has got more play. So color me surprised. Part of me wonders though, like, and this is just me being cynical, but part of me wonders if all that she wants has more plays because it's either people being like, Oh, that sounds familiar. Which song is it? And playing it. Or it's people being like, oh, I've heard the sign. What else is there? And being like, oh, all that she wants is there. So they play that. Because yeah. in my head, when I think like, if I were to come at any point and revisit this, like looking through this track list, I'm going to be like, oh, shit, I've heard the sign 50 million yeah. times. I don't need to listen to it again. Let's start somewhere else. Yeah. So part of me wonders how much of it is just people who don't need to listen to the sign because they can probably sing <laughs> it start to finish with zero problems. <laughs> Um, I would also say that if I'm honest, the sign is probably the song I like the least on the album. I do find the sign incredibly irritating. Like, I think it's a very strong pop track. I think they clearly knew what they were doing. And just from the like musicality of it, I understand why it was a big hit and why it continues to get play. But it's one of the songs uh, that Jenny still performs when she does her like little 40 minute sets and stuff at, uh, as bad as it is, I think it's her voice. It just, I can't do it. It's not even, yeah, it's not, it's again, it's not Jenny singing the song on the album. It's Lynn. 
Yeah, see, I didn't know if it was Jenny at that point or if it was still Lynn when the album first came out. Yeah, it just, I don't know. It, like, there are times where, like, her vocals peak and I just, like, ugh. I get it out of my ears. Yeah. But at the same time, almost in the same way you felt about the whole Gorillaz album, the beat of it is an earworm. Like, I'll be fucking hearing the sign in my head for the next three weeks. <laughs> I just want nothing to do with the vocals on it at all. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, fair. Yeah, and I find the key change at the end seems really, like, forced. And I yeah. think it pushes her almost out of her vocal range. Mm-hmm. She's singing comfortably. Yeah, I don't know. It's not great. This, I mean, the sign <laughs> was giant. It's the reason the album got so popular. It was the first single. It's great. Let's move on. Now, Living in Danger, this song, in my opinion, and I'm saying this as a th- you know as a 36-year-old person, not as someone that has a lot of nostalgia about it because I didn't even remember this song. This song fucking slaps. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And it's silly. And I think it's because I like the way that um, Lynn and Jenny are singing low in their their register and their harmonies are cool. Um, again, spoken word all over the place by one of the guys. I don't know which one. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. But the the chorus beat of this song, I'm sorry. Like I played this song in a loop for like 30, 40 minutes in the car one day. <laughs> I did it again today. Like this song fucking slaps. And if you're listening to our podcast and you're like dismissive of this episode because you're like fuck ace of base the sign who cares i would say listen to this song if nothing else in my opinion steven you may have a different opinion this song slaps it, i just like the way this i like the way they sing it you know i like that it sounds different because it is more focused on the guy's voice and they're more kind of singing background to him and it's more of a loop yeah. It's in terms of they're not trying to tell a story necessarily. Like there are verses and stuff, but it's all like people that it's like if this is more, this feels more like the next step. Yeah, no, I I get that. Like, I don't wholly agree. Like it's it's a good song. I'll say out of all the tracks on this album, very few of them are what I would say is good. They just are. It's a good song. And you're right that like the chorus beat is it's super catchy. It's super fun. It's hard to not enjoy listening to it. I just, as a whole, I'm not a huge fan of the track. Yeah, fair. And like, honestly, I did. I had a really hard time trying to pick a favorite song off this album, simply because like, I wasn't sure what criteria to use because <laughs> there's none that sound inherently like so different that I'm like, ooh, that really caught my attention. Honestly, I think for me, it might even be the last fucking, the like Bangra remix of All That She Wants, mm. I think is really well done. Okay. And I think it, I think it complements all that she wants in a way that the original release doesn't. I think it has a much more fun tone to it. I think like musically, it sounds slightly different, at least like it just, I don't know. I was, I was really impressed with them remixing a song in the first place on this album. And I just thought that as bland as I found all that she wants originally, I found the, the Bangra version was at least more engaging to me so in an album of tracks that for the most part to me were pretty adequate all that she wants was the like we're not going to say you know the you know the honor student of the class (laughs) but it's it's a solid 70s to 80s like (laughs) this this is an easy b plus to a average song like but yeah and it's in the same way that i get like you not connecting to the gorillas i just this sound just didn't connect for me like it wasn't unpleasant it just is something i probably will never listen to again yeah I understand the impact it had now and I have a lot more appreciation for it as a as a piece of music history, mm-hmm. but I'm still just not not big on Ace of Base. Oh, that's fine. Like I say, I don't imagine I'm gonna come away from this week 
listening to this song or listening to any of these songs particularly, but it was fun to go back in time for me. I knew I, I, I didn't revisit this album thinking it was going to be anything other than it was. This album is not deep. This album is not, like we said, musically interesting per se. Um, this is entirely, um, you know, like I say, I don't listen to a lot of music to feel happy or feel upbeat. This does it for me because it comes from a time in my life sort of before I'd experienced a whole lot of like shit that made me upset or went through like puberty and like, you know, all of my like family's like lingering depression issues that like cycle through all the generations, like slap me in the face. It comes from a time in my life where I was like nine or 10 years old, just having fun playing baseball and like going to the cottage and being in elementary school. This comes from a time in my life where I still had recess. So for me, yeah. it's like fun childhood memories. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Cause right. That was, that was a big part of like my excitement for the gorillas album is that's, that was a big part of it for me too. It was like, I still really enjoyed the sounds on gorillas. Like it did surprise me how much I still really loved that mm-hmm. album. But a big part of it was just like, man, remember when fucking life was about, you know, mowing the grass so I could go buy candy at the store that week. Like yeah. it just, yeah, it was a, a simpler kind of, easier going time and it just being brought back to that is just it's an experience you can't i like i would have a hard time putting into words but i totally understand yeah and yeah i in the same way that like when i hear fucking venga boys or s club or spice girls they kind of have that same effect on me because when my sister was listening to that stuff i was you know say between five and nine Mm -hmm. like it was just a super simple easy going time of my life before a bunch of bullshit happened yeah so it's it brings up those just there's happier, simpler kind of emotions and feelings from when you first experience. Yeah, it's like you're young enough in your life that everybody like nobody's died yet, at least not in my life. I think the first the first uh, major no, loss that, that I experienced was in seventh grade when my grandmother from Wales passed. But I mean, like this is pre that I had the three grandparents that I started with. They were still alive and, and they were young enough that we could spend time with them. We're going to the cottage where my grandparents spent their summers. We're going to Florida where my to see my grandparents in the winter. You know, um, my cousins and I were like, we were all young enough that we were still spending time together. You know, it's like, like, those are like my formative childhood happy memories before I needed to worry about things like having a job or, you know, I was too young to really understand like how badly I was being bullied and tormented at school. I was too young to sort of like have an idea of the ways that looking back on it or that I started acknowledging when I was a teenager that like little things that my parents had done to me when I was growing up that start has started to affect my ability to function in the world. Like my parents are very big on like, don't ask for things that you want. People know you want Mm -hmm. them and they'll be offered to you if they're prepared to give them to you, which I think in there quite innocently, they instilled that in us to get us to stop asking for candy at the grocery store. You know, Mm -hmm. we know you want it to stop asking. Don't ask for things that you want. We know that you want it. But the problem is, is that at some point you need to like, ask for a raise <laughs> or a promotion yeah, right. or ask someone to marry you or be your girlfriend or like fight for things in a relationship that are important to you. Even if it's in a friendship relationship or fighting for, you know, at some point you have to start asking the world for things because at some point the world knows you want it, but they're not going to give it to you unless you ask. But I was too young to know that that should had happened to me. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is just like happy, no, totally happy, fun it. memories. And like, you know, I saw the sun. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And, right, and that too, at the end of the day, it's, it's not a good, it's not a strong, it's not a clever or genre bending album by any means, but is it fun? Absolutely. Like it just, 
no matter what song kind of you put on from this, like for you, it's living in danger. But honestly, you could put kind of any of these tracks on and I'm at least going to be like, I'll smile and be like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's fun. It's poppy. It's cute. It doesn't require any thought. It doesn't require any work. It just is. And it's just there to make you feel better for, you know, three to four minutes. Yeah. And there's just there's just a beautiful simplicity to that. Like pop music, much like the sitcoms that were enormous or have been enormous. Yes. I mean, they're pointless. They don't mean anything, but people like them. They're very successful. And this is from a time when like the sitcom was fucking king. Friends started in 1994. Yeah. Seinfeld started around then. There was a lot of sitcoms on TV then. Um, Frasier or no, Cheers was probably still in the air then. I don't remember. I think Cheers would have still been around. Um, but like Fresh Prince started in 90. Yeah. And um, Family Matters would have been on then. You think of all the like the the ones that were on I mean, like shit. Nickelodeon. And- Simpsons. Simpsons started in 89. Yeah, Simpsons like, started in 89, so they were on then. Simpsons was actually kind of in what was arguably their peak at this point. Mm, yeah, I could, yeah. That's a, that'd be a whole other conversation We're not getting into the Simpsons. <laughs> but yeah, like, you're absolutely right. This is a period of low-thought, good-vibe media. And that's sitcoms, it's music, it's, you know, I'm sure you could find instances of books being released that, say, five-year span yeah. that all kind of had that really easy just sit back kind of relax yeah trying to think there was another sitcom i was thinking of oh i guess it's not it's not a sitcom it's a cartoon it's because i said simpsons yeah but i'm pretty sure ren and stimpy would have been on because i think ren and stimpy was like uh, 91 92 and then it only was around for like five or six years but like yeah um fucking family matters no yeah it was a good it was the peak of sitcom essentially at the time and this is almost like, yeah, like the musical equivalent of it. And I get it. I get why it was a big hit. I get why it had the impact it did. And I get why it continues to continue on to this point. Yeah. But it just, it's just not for me. Yeah, that's fair. But I think, I think these guys were primed to be ready for success. Because if you think of what the popular music was at the time, this was like the heart of grunge. 92, 90, like 91 to 94 are considered the grunge years. And you think by yeah. 93, like Nevermind had come out, 10 had come out, Alice in Chains' uh, Dirt had come out, Siamese Dream was out. There's all this down music. As much as I fucking love all of it, you gotta you gotta think of like the the general the cultural exhaustion around that music, where everything was kind of like, ugh. And you know, they were all dying of overdoses or had drug problems, or were singing about how unhappy they were. And all of a sudden, this like four people from Sweden come along with these upbeat songs and people can dance to it and it's happy and it makes you smile. And I think that's probably another big reason why this was so successful. Yeah, it was right. It was a almost like a cornerstone of a cultural change that was coming through. Right. Because like you said, a big part of the cultural impact of those grunge years was that feeling of melancholy. And a lot of that came from the people who were kind of discovering that melancholy in themselves for the first time. Like they were starting to buckle under the pressure of, I mean, like media outlets were starting to get huge constant, like the, the start of the constant barrage of news really started taking off around there because TV started becoming more acceptable. Right. And like easier to get. Um, So yeah, this was just a nice, almost like palate cleanser of an album that was perfectly situated to, to kind of take that downward momentum and bring it back up. Yeah. And saying that clearly, like 
where you said obviously like Joker and Buddha since she wrote almost all these songs, they obviously had an ear to pop music. Yeah. Whether it was formal training, whether they knew they were doing it, they clearly had something that just they knew what to do because it's it's such an iconic pop sound. And to have achieved that right near the like crashing of the grunge wave, as it were, isn't itself a feat. Like to not be pressured and influenced by this huge genre of music that's taking over the world yeah. and just being like, nah, we just want to make fun synthy pop music. Fucking get on them. Yeah. Like the industry needed it. And I mean, the evidence of its success survives to this day, right? Yeah. And, you know, grunge would be more or less dead by the end of next year. This came out in November. And you think five months later, Kurt Cobain was dead? Yeah, it's true. I didn't really think about how close together that really was. And Kurt Cobain dying really took the wind out of grunge's sails. I mean, Pearl Jam carried on. Smashing Pumpkins carried on. You know, um, but by the end of 1993, Alice in Change was basically non-functioning because Lane was so fucking incapacitated with his heroin addiction that he basically went into a year of exile at that point for all of 94 so a lot of those bands were either imploding or their members were starting to die you know and then you think that things like uh tuesday night music club by cheryl crow came out that year music box by mariah carey came out that year like two very very big albums that are not necessarily bleh and grungy and then um you know we're a couple of years away in 93 still from jagged little pill but that was like by the end of 95, like grunge was over. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, right at that point, you had like essentially Dave Grohl after Kirk Cobain's death breaking off and beginning to form what would become the Foo Fighters, yeah. who in their own right didn't continue grunge, no. but evolved from it and kind of kickstarted this huge wave of like alt rock, um, almost like new wave. Yeah, that that post grunge stuff, I suppose, where it's it's more kind of like rock and roll. I think post grunge, I think more like silver chair and stuff. But you you think by like ninety four, Dookie came out in ninety four. So oh shit, that's right. so you know yeah. again even pop uh, punk music at the time was becoming more pop centric. You 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 want to get uh, you want to get punks fighting? Just bring up Green Day. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean like Dookie. Yeah, Dookie would have come out three months later because Dookie was like February. Yeah. And yeah, Green Day is a pretty divisive topic <laughs> in the in the punk circles. We'll say, uh, my dad to this day will spit fire at anything Green Day except Dookie because he believes Dookie to be the one and only last punk album Green Day ever produced. Um, but yeah, it was right the turning point of something new. And yeah, even even Green Day being a punk band, right? Like we're starting to incorporate that poppy, almost like corporate radio sound yeah. yeah and then from there i mean and i think at that point you know the rock music faded away and rap music really took its place by yeah, that just, point there's one thing i wanted to check when did some 41 because i think some 41 would have been right around that same time when too some 41, i vaguely like, remember them being early 2000s? really close to no like see i always think they are but i'm pretty sure the first some 41 album was like only a year year or two after green days because i remember listening to both like listening to dookie and whatever the fuck 741's first album was called and um yeah dude i really don't like some 41 and remembering that like to me some 41 had such a incredibly distinct punk sound or pop sound to it rather oh yeah compared to like they to me were like green day was starting to go pop whereas to me like some 41 was pop right like 
to me, some 41 was like, I remember them being almost the start of like pop punk that really took off like in too deep and all that shit. (laughs) Um, Apparently the first demo tape was 98. So it's, they're still five years off. Yeah. So yeah. Um, They signed with Island records in 99 to produce half hour power. So yeah, they are actually quite a bit later than I thought, but yeah, it was really, it became like pop music and rap took over. I mean, doggy style came out in 93. Yeah. Enter the Wu Tang. 36 Chambers, that was 93. Well, yeah, and right to me, rap rap was almost like, rap was like the African-American almost equivalent to grunge. Like, a lot of grunge was angsty, angsty white dudes in their, like, mid-20s having mild, like, depression and existential crises mm-hmm. with specific standouts. Like, right, the reason Kurt Cobain is still the go-to name the reason nirvana is still the go-to name for grunge is because they were producing it at a level that you just didn't really see from a lot of grunge bands well they brought everybody um, with them right they, they yeah, certainly weren't exactly. the first and they were riding the coattails for a long time of those that came before them but they brought those guys with them when they when they hit it big you know they started bringing the melvins on tour as an opening act and they went on and the breeders went with them and oh god don't get me started on. Yeah, right. Honor. Exactly. So, so to me, right, like rap was hip hop's equivalent of like was the disenfranchised voices finally speaking up, yeah. and it it followed off the coattails of grunge, and I think it's an incredible thing it did. I think rap should have existed the way it does now a lot longer ago, and they just people weren't given the opportunities because of the color of their skin. Uh-huh. But to me, rap is the one genre that's truly kind of carried on the idea of grunge in that it's it's disenfranchised people from all walks of life who had to take a chance that could have screwed them entirely and put like could have ruined their lives and just had to take a shot because they they needed to get that out there. yeah because yeah like i mean um shit uh ice cubes it was a good day was the year before um Insane in the Brain, like Cypress Hill, Insane in the Brain was 93, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And as as far as like conventional mainstream rap songs go, like Insane in the Brain was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, on The Simpsons for fuck's sake. Yeah, Because <laughs> um, I think A Tribe Called Quest started a couple years before that, didn't they? Like Tribe Called Quest, I'm pretty sure was like 89, 90. And they kind of, they started building that momentum. And then, yeah, you had... Ice Cube, again, um, actually, I think Baby Got Back came out 92, but like I get around, like Tupac was hitting the airwaves 93. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, honestly, as much as people shit talk in the 90s, the 90s were an incredibly important and incredibly formative decade for music. I would say they're every bit as important as the 60s. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I think people look back on the 60s almost with this nostalgia tinted lens and gives it like, almost more credit than it deserves at the detriment of other periods of incredibly influential. Oh yeah. Music. Oh my God. People look at the sixties with such rose colored glasses. It's astonishing. Yes. There's a ton of good music, but there's also a ton of crap. Yeah, exactly. Whereas like 1990, um, what was it? I'm pretty sure 1990 was public enemies. 911 is a joke. Like <laughs> it was truly the start of both, you know, disestablishment counterculture and, the like the like mainstream media's attempt to combat that with sitcoms and crazy upbeat pop music and it's just such an incredibly complex 
and diverse decade of music. Yeah. I love it. So let's cycle back to the sign before we get too deep yeah. into rap music. Because, <laughs> yeah, we're at an hour 16 and we have to talk about two things still. One, Dancer in a Daydream, as we discussed a little bit offline, it basically has a song from the Command and Conquer soundtrack in it. Right, um, that's so easy. <laughs> and I really hope that we can do that soon. I chose the theme for October. I'm going to let you, I'm going to I'm going to encourage you to choose a theme for November, but I would oh, like shit. to do video game soundtracks, whether they be from oh, our gosh. our past, our present, whatever, I don't really care what genre they're from, but I would hope we can do video game soundtracks soon because I think they're fun. Um yeah. so I want to talk about that and we cannot close this this out without and it's funny because it's actually playing in my ears right now. Um Happy Nation which brings us to the part of the internet when you Google this band that talks about their ties to Nazism, which is a really hard left. <laughs> yeah, right. Like when you mentioned it to me, I couldn't believe it. I hadn't of all the insane fighting and vitriol I had found about people with strong opinions about Ace of Base. I actually hadn't seen any of that. Yeah. But goddamn, does the evidence pile up <laughs> real quick? But like quick disclaimer in the beginning, A technically nothing's proven but it was only one member of the band from what i can and tell it, like after you mentioned it, yeah it and it was the member band. that's not part of the family yeah right of course so <laughs> it was joker's buddy yeah so all they decided to recruit and i'm going based on a couple of articles but i'm going to reference the cracked article because if you are my age and you age. and maybe your age cracked. as well steven but at one point was cracked show? was the go to for truth on the internet <laughs> isn't that insane to think about <laughs> that yeah truly like cracked almost had this like counterculture mentality in the sense that it was one of the few places you could get not unflavored information because it's always right they're a comedy website so the writers always base it through a lens of that mm -hmm. but they were one of the few places you could get essentially unfiltered information regardless of whether it was good or bad. Yeah. So I don't want to talk, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but I think it's worth talking about because it's kind of hilarious, but it's also like, huh? So I'm just going to start, I'm just going to like read some, some uh, snippets from the cracked article. And if you're listening and you want to go and do your own research by all means, and if you want to DM us at the, uh, on our Instagram account, life number two labyrinth and dispute it or point me in the direction of another interesting article or something by all means, so they start with basically the name because Ace of Base is B-A-S-E, not Base B-A-S-S, as you'd expect. And so they're saying like, it's not Base isn't music related at all. It's like, you know, an Air Force base. Sounds warlike, right? And so they're arguing that the name is most likely a reference to the Karaman Submarine Base, a massive U-boat launching and docking facility constructed by the Nazis in the French town of Lorient. And it's considered to be one of the most important and ambitious projects of the entire war for the German side. And in 1941, the missions that embarked from this facility alone were responsible for taking out more than 500 Allied ships. And it was so well constructed that the Allies built a new bomb specifically to take out this one facility. And the bomb was called Tallboy, and it failed miserably. Yes, it did. <laughs> the the Allies the finally crippled the base, but only literally flattening the entire city around it and blocking the U-boats from accessing the station. We never took it. 
And the Germans, despite being eventually completely surrounded by Allied forces, managed to hold on to the bunker through the end of the war. And because it was a place where Germany's top U-boat captains carried out all of their missions, it was often called the Base of Aces. So, Shit. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the one article I found, it was Ulf talking about the song name, actually in the band name. I couldn't find any other quotes from any other members about the process for coming up with Ace of Base. Yeah. So they're I think they're probably arguing it's something else. But, you know, again, it's just a cracked article it's 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 hearsay and it's arguments, but it's worth talking about. And it's crazy. So why not? That's fucking insane, <laughs> um, let's see what else is in here. So, yeah, Ulf was also part of was part of a neo-Nazi punk band. God damn it, man. Punk's always been about getting the Nazis out. <laughs> You're not allowed to make Nazi punk bands. <laughs> it's literally the exact opposite of what punk is. <laughs> Let me find it. Let me find it. Okay. A few years ago, Vice Music editor Ben Shapiro wrote an article that revealed that Ace of Base founder Ulf Ekberg was once in a Nazi punk band called Commit Suicide. And a sample of the band's lyrics as shared in the article. I can't read them all because although we're explicit, I'm not soulless. Yeah, no, please don't. <laughs> so this is a translation because it looks like it's probably written in uh, Swedish or is this not German? Um, Men in white hoods march down the road. We enjoy ourselves when we're sawing off black people's heads. Immigrant, we hate you. Out, out, out. Nordic people wake up now. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Some of his lyrics feel good stuff. Yeah. So we're just going to throw this out there. Technically, it's it's libel. We Ulf may not be a Nazi, but it is categorically true that he was in a Nazi band. Yes. <laughs> like food for thought. Yes. And this is this is just stuff that I'm, you know, I haven't formed any conclusions. <laughs> My favorite song in here is Living in Danger. It's a banger. Um, but there's other things like they're talking about how um all that she wants in the video, I think. Basically, like she's holding um a, a necklace. Uh, for the first 15 seconds of the video, the subject of the song, the leech whom the band is directing their hate towards the woman, I guess, is shown to be stroking a necklace that's just a bunch of six pointed stars. All right. So that's shown twice. And then the big one is Happy Nation. So, yeah, that song, man, when she told me, holy shit, (laughs) that song takes on a totally different connotation. Like. So wow. yeah, before they even start, there's a chant kind of thing because it seems like to be a weird mishmash of Latin and Hebrew um, hasn't ever really been translated with 100 percent certainty by anyone. And those who've tried suggested some variation of this on the wings of the eagle with God's help. I was there before everyone. In the meantime, I will kill you. I was there before everyone. The wings of the eagle, eh? <laughs> Jeez, yeah. uh, blatant Nazi symbolism. Um, oh, and there's lyrics with... Uh, Happy nation, living a happy nation, where the people understand and dream of per- the perfect man, a situation leading for sweet salvation, for the people of the good, for mankind, brotherhood. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I really didn't listen much to that song. <laughs> the next verse, ideas by man and only that will last, and over time we've turned to the past, that no man's fit to rule the world alone, a man will die, but not his ideas. That's a totally love song to yeah. Hitler. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely sounding like it now. <laughs> Uh, and even more than before, they get to the part, the creep who does the chance in the beginning says this, we're traveling in time. Uh, Hitler comes up at most like f- five minutes into any conversation about time travel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that line about how a man will die, but his ideas won't. In the video, 
when they sing that song over top of their faces, it spins the cover for The Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. So that so hmm. people are like, oh, it's just about Charles Darwin. The, you know, he's the man whose ideas will never die. But this article is like, not so fast. Keep in mind that the full title of this book is The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of the Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. That's right. Which was... It's the reason we leave off the rest of that title when we teach it in school. Yep. And uh, <laughs> one of the unfortunate side effects of Darwin's theories is that they've been used as the basis for a number of different hate groups, philosophies over the years, with Hitler and Nazis very much being one of them. So... Yep. Um, I don't want to get too much farther into it, but for this like happy go lucky, like band all like this, it just takes us hard left and there's several articles about it. Um, and again, take it with a grain of salt. This is stuff on the internet. This is not, you know, the New York times. It's nothing that any of them that I've found have copped to. They kind of, you know, in some cases they've been asked blatantly in interviews and they seem to kind of dodge the question. Um, so you can take yeah. that how you want It's either they're dodging the question because they think it's so ludicrous. They're not even going to like get trapped into discussing it or they're aware of it and they're just trying to distance themselves from it to maintain this idea that they are this fun, loving, good time band. And maybe they tricked 9 million Americans into buying an album about Nazis. <laughs> right, and it's it goes without saying that honestly, given that Ulf's the only one who has any kind of concrete ties that we can find, there's a chance, given that he was the songwriter for almost the entire album, that the other band members might not have had any idea of his past affiliations or his potentially like still present ideals. He might have honestly sold this as a, you know, intellectuals die and we need to keep their ideas alive. Yeah, it's just no way of knowing. Nope. Um, yeah. Throwing it in there as a disclaimer. Fuck Ben Shapiro. Dude's an asshole. <laughs> real, he's got real shitty takes on everything. Don't give the guy the time of day. Nazis are bad. We shouldn't have to say that. But hey, for some reason in 2020, we fucking do now. Yes. Nazis are bad. Don't be one. Treat everybody fucking nice. Like, it's not that hard. We're all people. Don't be a Nazi. <laughs> like, rule, rule number one for life. Don't be a Nazi. Let's just fucking say that. And to end on a slightly lighter note, at least, <laughs> I looked into it. And indeed, the band's original name was Tech Noir, which is the nightclub in Terminator. I watched too many movies. <laughs> and they it, they couldn't use Tech Noir because another Swedish band of like two years prior had already taken the name. So I don't know. But apparently Tech Terminator, or sorry, The Terminator, was a huge ass movie in Sweden because at least two separate bands wanted to use the name of the nightclub in it as their band name and that to me is absolutely insane i can't like also i do kind of get it i kind of hope the other the band who got it is like a electronica like pre-daft punk style band because tech noir is a damn good name i have to look them up it just really threw me for a loop and i was like that's the i'm positive that's nightclub and terminator because <laughs> i can picture the little marquee with the name on it and the shitty pink neon Maybe uh, we should look it up and think about a bonus episode or something like that. Oh um, just like a tech. Yeah, just just for my own sake, I'm going to do what the president couldn't and just jump on your con condemnation of Nazis. If you're a white supremacist or racist in any way, don't listen to our podcast. We want nothing to do with you. Yeah, <laughs> um, go somewhere else. Like, and stop making or listening to punk music. <laughs> None of us want you. Our whole goddamn genre is about saying fuck you to people like you get out of here yes 
Maybe one day we'll watch SLC Punk and do a review of it. <laughs> okay, don't get me started. We got to wrap. We got to wrap. I'm just okay. My final thoughts on this: this was a lot of fun for me. Let's just cruise past the Nazi stuff. Fuck Nazis. It's a fun. I'm gonna. I'm fun in quotes. Side of this, if you want to start reading about it, it's like holy shit. Yeah. What the fuck? There's a lot of coincidences. It's- a lot of things line up. They could just be coincidences. And just because this guy was in a punk band that wrote songs like that does not mean that that's who he was when this started and what, who he is now. People change their beliefs, change, they grow, they become better people. And they, in some cases look back on their past with significant disdain for the people they used to be. There are countless people in prison that have, you know, found any kind of meaning in life and work to do what they can within the constraints of their incarceration to try and make life better for people that are around them. People change, their beliefs change, and being in a band and singing songs does not mean that you believe something, but it's a fucking red flag. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like, same thing, final thoughts. Um, It's all around, it's a fun album, even without that kind of lens of nostalgia. I think for sure it's worth it. Go and give it a listen. You're probably going to find a lot of it pretty forgettable. But hopefully you find one or two tracks to stick out to you. Like, there's always going to be something that just speaks a little bit more to you than it does to someone else. And that's just life. So give it a shot, especially now. It seems crazy to think, hey, let's go listen to this what 17-year-old album that has one massive hit on it that you know of. Still, just give it a shot, right? Worst comes to worst, you're not going to like it. No harm done. It's only 45 minutes. Right? You might discover a sound that, like I did. I honestly, I enjoyed this album more than I would have even remotely ever expected to. And that's not to say I enjoyed it a lot. It just means I enjoyed it in a way that I thought I wasn't going to enjoy it at all. Um, So hopefully, you know, you enjoyed this episode was a lot more kind of banter heavy back and forth with me and Bryn talking about like our experiences, our life. And that's just a consequence of not having a lot of variety or interesting things to talk about on the album. Yep. But still worth a shot. Like, it's just, it's good, poppy, feel-good music. And sometimes you need that, even if you don't know. You know, we've all, we're have all we all guilty of liking bad movies that yeah, are absolutely. just, you know, I really like Down Periscope. It's a pile of shit, but it's funny. <laughs> and I like watching it, and I laugh, and I feel good every time I watch it. This is like that. This is like bad movie level of, like, guilty pleasure. It's just fun. It's going to make you smile. Um, even if you hate pop music, I'm not a big pop music person. This was fun. It's a fun album and there's not a lot of difference to the songs, but yeah, like Steven said, maybe you'll find one or two you like, you come away from it 49, 45 minutes later, 49 minutes. If you listen to all the extra little tracks and stuff, it's a very, very limited time investment compared to some of the other stuff we've listened to. It's fun and you're not going to be any worse off for trying it. And if you're intent is to write it off out of principle because it's pop music from the 90s or you're like fuck that you know the sign it's like my you know my parents listen to it or you know i don't want to listen to it for whatever reason um that's the whole point of why we are doing this podcast is so that we listen to stuff that we would write off out of hand if we weren't doing this podcast i probably would have lived the rest of my life never listening to this album again and I just yeah, spent the last listen week <laughs> listening to it on a loop and finding a lot of fun and feeling good about it. And if you're a listener of our podcast, you know that I don't do that a lot with music. 
this was fun. It's harmless. And if you got, you know, the time to listen to our podcast, I would say just throw it on. I don't think you'll regret it. You may not want to listen to it again, but I don't think you'll regret it. All right. So kind of our theme for October, right? The scary music that made us. Um, So Bryn's idea was that we were each going to do one album, like our first album, and then one album that we felt truly kind of surmised the music we listened to the most growing up from our parents. So I'll say, honestly, I had a really hard time deciding here because like my dad's got a pretty eclectic taste of music, pretty similar to mine. Um, I mean, I could have done Johnny Cash. I could have done Ramones. I could have done ACDC, um, Iron Maiden. But I was kind of just flipping through songs that I could that make me think of my dad, honestly, throwing them on Spotify. And I realized one album like one album has so many songs that I quintessentially kind of think of my childhood and my time with my dad and starting to listen to music with him. And it's no shock to anyone. It is a punk album. So it's the warrior's code by dropkick Murphy's. And I think not only is there a huge collection of tracks on this album that make me think of that period of my life and learning to appreciate music, but also I think the warrior's code is a very, I might Bryn might immediately prove slash disagree with me on this once he starts getting into it. But I think the Warriors Code is a really good example of some of the range you get in punk music. So they're an Irish band out of Boston, I'm pretty sure. I always get it confused. I don't think they're actually no, it's, Irish. It's the Warriors Code, right? Not the Warriors original motion picture soundtrack. <laughs> Warriors! Think, yes, think, it's think. the Warriors Code. <laughs> so it's the Warriors Code. And yeah, so they're um, they consider themselves Irish-American. Um out of Boston, they've got a lot of songs that really, really love Boston. Um, and yeah, it just, it's got a really good range of sounds. It's a really good range of the type of things you went here in punk, but also it's got that Celtic influence. So, you know, you've got bagpipes, you've got mandolin. I think musically, it's a pretty kind of complex change around. It's not quite what you would expect. So I am excited to kind of get back into it because I haven't listened to this album in its entirety, probably in. 15 years if not longer all right well don't Uh, go too far because we won't have anything to talk about next week yeah i'm just saying i am looking forward to your kind of take on this i think this is going to be another one that's like the gorillas i don't think a lot of this is going to click but i'm really kind of excited to hear kind of how you feel how you how you interpret it for sure and yeah it's going to be nice to kind of go back and really give it the the time and thought i haven't given it in a long time so i've never as far as i know i've never heard this album um I definitely know who the Dropkick Murphys are. Um, I hung out in high school with a lot of people that really liked punk music and really liked ska music. Um, And the Dropkick Murphys were one of those bands that those guys that liked punk and ska music talked about incessantly. Um, So again, I don't want to, I don't want to start our next episode by talking about the album. Now I've never heard this. So this will be a first listen for me, a repeat listen for Steven, a true a true example of what our podcast is about. One of us re-listens, one of us hears for the first time. I've heard nothing off this album. I'm sure the last album, Stephen, at least had heard the sign. I've heard nothing off this album that I'm aware yeah. of. So, <laughs> Yeah, there might be one song you've heard in like ads or in passing. Right. But other than that, I can't imagine a situation where you would have heard any of these if it wasn't your style. All right. Music. So cool. I'm really excited. Well, we will get to that. Uh, if you are Canadian... 
Happy Thanksgiving. Happy long weekend from, I guess, last weekend. We're recording this on Friday. Um, So by the time it's out, hopefully Wednesday or Thursday. Sorry. (laughs) I do my best. Hopefully your Thanksgiving went well. And if it didn't, hopefully we were able to help a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe maybe you listened to the sign and tortured your family. And hey, (laughs) isn't that what Thanksgiving's about? Eat lots of pie. Eat lots of stuffing. Or I hope you did previously. Stephen, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, and, uh, Grant. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. And uh, we see you guys. There's some of you that do listen. We see you on our statistics. We love you. Thanks so much. Please feel free to reach out to us through uh, Twitter or Instagram. And uh, if you want to make suggestions of stuff you'd like to hear us listen to or you have a, a theme idea for a month coming up, feel free to let us know. You know, we... Uh, We're just two guys that are doing this and we see some people are listening to it and it'd be great to hear from you. See if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to hear the podcast become. Till then, thanks for listening and have a great week. See ya. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number 2 Labyrinth.